Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of All Out War. I am Turner, and I'm in the studio with Rosie. Rosie, what's up, my brother? Hey, what's up? And with Rachel. Rachel, what's up, girl? I'm doing good. How's it going? <laughs> We're doing good. Yeah. We're doing really good. Uh, I'm excited about this podcast because uh, we've just been chatting with our guest here before uh, we hit record for this, and uh, I'm just excited about how it's going to go. But before we get into that, Rosie, what do you know, brother? Hey, did you know that there is a uh, cabinet position in the UK known as the chief Mauser to cabinet? <laughs> Mauser? Yeah, which is, uh, okay, so the chief Mauser to the cabinet office is the title of the official resident cat of the prime minister <laughs> of the UK. So there's only been four cats. <laughs> Humphrey, Sybil, La Larry, and Freya. Larry. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the current uh, incumbent This is, is uh, Larry the cat. Is this in the UK? Yeah. Do they have bad teeth too? Oh, probably. Can you imagine like a cat with like Austin Powers teeth? You mean like every <laughs> British teeth? Yeah, yeah baby. <laughs> yeah. That would be so. They might even have, <laughs> we have. I have British friends. We shouldn't make fun of them. They, it's well known. It's like documented that their teeth are bad. Yeah. But that's fair. But yeah. Anyways, anyway, so that's a real government position. A Mauser. The chief Mauser to the cabinet office. That's cool. There's only been four. Oh, it was uh, formed in uh, 1515. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Man. Cats really do have nine lives then. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. I mean, the, they've only had five cats, you said? Four. Four since the 1500s? Yeah. I don't. They didn't last that long. I was going to say. Actually, <laughs> what do they feed those cats? Yo, man? it was Larry. It was just Larry for four hundred years. <laughs> the first three died like three months each, and then the last Larry's just been living. He's forever. Hold, holding it down. Yeah, eating the mice. Yeah. If I get another cat, I'm going to name. Larry Maybe that's now. the miracle diet: mice. Mice. Yeah. Maybe that's what like Adam and them used to eat back in ancient <laughs> to live so long. Cats. <laughs> it was a. It was a oh, mouse mice. diet. Uh, yeah. Anyways, all right. Hey, uh, we have a great episode with our good friend, Ethan. Um, we're going to jump in that in just a second. So everybody sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. That's right. It's us again. <laughs> we have a great guest on the podcast today. His name is Ethan Jago. And Ethan is a, uh, he was a, he worked for the Air Force in survival training. And I'm going to let him share all that because he threw a bunch of titles to me that I couldn't remember and write down quick enough. But he is, he has a background in search and rescue, combat search and rescue, all kinds of survival training with the Air Force. And now he has jumped from that into a role in ministry, full-time ministry. So uh, I want to welcome to the podcast, Ethan. Ethan, thank you for joining us, my friend. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. So help, help me explain better what it is that you did for the Air Force, because <laughs> I can't remember yeah. it all. So a lot of people, uh, if you've ever seen the movie G.I. Jane, there's a there's a movie scene in her training where Demi Moore goes to the Navy SEAL training, which is, oddly enough, I really enjoy that film, where she goes through <laughs> SEER school. And so the Air Force is the only branch that has a dedicated career field uh, 
for producing uh, instructors or what we call specialists in survival, evasion, resistance, escape. Uh, the Navy and the Army, they have it, but it's a temporary duty assignment. It's a specialty code, whereas for the Air Force, we are bred and born for this, where we get selected. We have to go through a selection course. If we get selected, then we get to go through uh, a six-and-a-half-month-long training pipeline where you get taught, I mean, everything from the most primitive survival skills uh, all the way up to uh, advanced rock climbing, advanced high-angle rescue skills. Hmm. Uh, and then once you graduate and you earn your beret and your arch, uh, you're considered a SEER specialist. You teach at the survival school located in Spokane, Washington. And I did that up in Spokane from about 2006 to 2009. Uh, and then from there, you go to a base assignment spot where you continue the refresher training for the air crew and other individuals who go through your training. Uh, and then you have the opportunity to eventually go operational uh, and to deploy and offer up personal recovery guidance uh, and planning for commanders and combatant commanders and stuff like that to recover uh, American citizens, uh, DOD personnel, and I've had the opportunity to deploy to uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, the Philippines, Africa. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Uh, to to offer up my services to the individuals there, uh, and uh, it was a great time. It was a good time. It's a, in my opinion, it was the the best job God could have allowed me to get into. Because eventually, originally, I had enlisted in the army. Now I wanted to go into special forces, and I remember my mom, she goes, Ethan, don't do it. I don't want you to go <laughs> to the Army. And I was like, no, I want to go in the Army. It's going to be fun. <laughs> in which, uh, long story, I'll get to something like later. And she goes, please just look at the Air Force. So I went into the recruiter. I said, all right, I don't know what the Air Force does. I don't want to fly planes. Uh, but what's something, I went to my recruiter's office, and I said, what's a job that you've never had anyone enlist for and actually pass? And she gave me a VHS cassette tape <laughs> of a guy in Vietnam, like putting on face camo and everything else. Cause our career field really came out of the Vietnam war area yeah. era, excuse me, where all of our prisoners of war were captured and tortured by the Vietnamese and the Viet Cong. Uh, and so our schoolhouse developed techniques in survival evasion from, uh, from capture resistance. If you do get captured from interrogations, tortures and stuff like that, then ultimately with escape and the ultimate, uh, if you will, goal is to return with honor, to get back home with your honor intact without giving up information, flipping on your comrades or anything else like that. Uh, so that's that's what I did in the Air Force. Dude, that's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds really awesome. Uh, did you ever get to uh, work with pararescue guys? Oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah, there's a... They're, they're great guys. They're from, uh, so us paired with pararescue and combat rescue officers, we form what's called the guardian angel weapon system. Uh, and so the pararescue, uh, pararescue men, well, the combat rescue officers are the ones that lead the teams. Uh, the pararescue men are the guys that actually go out and the SEER individuals like myself, we would help spin our PJs and crows up to, to get them prepared for the missions. Uh, I never deployed with them. Uh, I, I mainly, uh, deployed with on the special tactics side of the house when I did deploy. Uh, and I ended up working in a training, assisting and advising, uh, section with uh, Kurdish forces and Iraqi forces, uh, battling ISIS up in, uh, Northern Iraq when I did that. Wow. Dude, that's cool. That's crazy. I mean, that's the stuff that we read about. We mm -hmm. hear about. Yeah. So, well, thank you for your service, man. We really, yeah. really, I have great respect for you 
in that. And uh, I would love to uh, just like spend like a week with you <laughs> outside. Uh, no, no, man. I, I There were so many times where I was doing stuff and I just remember thinking I'm getting paid to do something that I would do for free. And, <laughs> uh, and getting to, there's so many times, granted, I'm not nearly as cool as a lot of the other guys doing stuff, but there's things that I've gotten to do. And I'm like, wow, like this is, this is fun. This is cool. And I, I'm getting paid to do this right now. So it was awesome. Yeah. So how did you make this jump from this crazy survivalist training, traveling the world, fighting bad guys, rescuing good guys to get into ministry? How did that happen? So uh, it, it was in my undergrad. I was doing night classes in California and uh, I had a professor kind of put a bug in my ear when he said, if anyone writes a paper about Jesus or God, you're going to fail and I went up to him and I said, well, hey, what's your problem with God and what's your problem with Jesus? And he, he had a lot of, he was a, definitely a skeptic in the, the scholarly world of saying it, I guess you could say mm-hmm. uh, an atheist, if you will. And he pushed back and he asked a lot of questions to which I didn't know the answers to. And I realized my faith, granted I was a believer, I didn't know the answers. I, I was, I only had the, you know, the Christianese to give him back. And so that kind of got the juices flowing. And then I got, uh, you know, studying into apologetics. And then it was in Iraq. I read this book called Am I Called? I can't remember the author's name. I want to say Mark Harvey, but don't quote me on that. And as I was reading this book, I got the call to ministry. It was a generalized call to ministry. I didn't understand what exactly that was. So that was roughly end of 2015, beginning of 2016. And and so I started seminary in 2017 and with a focus in apologetics. And then that's when a, my local church asked me, hey, would you teach? And so I started to teach this small class. It was one person that showed up to the class. It was a, <laughs> a hermeneutics class. And I remember I was like, oh, I'm kind of disappointed because part of being a SEER instructor is you're taught how to teach. Hmm. And so I was able to, I, I knew how to teach. I was a pretty good teacher. And so now making that transition from teaching how to make a fire and a shelter and everything else, now I'm teaching, hey, this is how you study the Bible. And then the church said, well, hey, you know, you've been doing a decent job teaching this one woman who ended up being a, a youth a youth leader in, within our church. Would you teach the young adult ministry? And I did. And then the church said, would you please be the head of our young adult ministry under the young adult pastor? Would you be the one to do this? Because he was both the youth pastor and the young adult pastor. And then that's when I kind of got my vector and realized this is where God wants me. Uh, just like how I was challenged by my undergrad professor in my faith, I realized, man, all these college students are getting hit up with why do you believe what you believe? Mm-hmm. Do you have any answers for this? And consistently getting uh, pushed and pushed and pushed by the atheistic liberal leftist agenda towards and attacking Christianity. And I'm like, man, I want to arm these people. And there's a quote from C.S. Lewis that has or, always stuck with me. Uh, and it's his, God has called us to a campaign of sabotage, like an undercover campaign. <laughs> and so I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to infiltrate these college students' campuses for Christ and be a force multiplier and a disciple maker. And so that's kind of how that went. And honestly, it's just been God guiding me and me stepping in obedience because uh, I started doing contracting when I got out of active duty and I started making a lot of money. And that was really appealing. You know, when you start making, you know, what you make in the military, I was an E7 when I, when I got out, a master sergeant in the Air Force, and then you making the money in contract world, it's like, <laughs> it's yeah. a night and a day difference. <laughs> You're like, 
I get home and me and my wife look at the bank account. We're like, oh shoot, baby, you know what? We're going to Olive Garden for dinner tonight. You know, and so, <laughs> start getting elevated. But then ultimately, though, I, I I didn't feel fulfilled. You know, I didn't feel satisfied. I'm like, hmm. God needs me in ministry, and so I had a job offer down in Oahu, Hawaii, to continue doing what I did in the military, but on the civilian side as a GS13, hmm. and that kind of freed me from where we were living. We were living up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is just north of where y'all are at. Yeah, and and babe, I just talked to my wife Diane, who's been on your podcast. I was like, Diane. I don't feel like we're called here because I had applied at churches uh, to be a teaching pastor, to be a college pastor, and every door was just slamming in my face. And she goes, well, where would you want to live? I go, well, Oahu is appealing. I love to surf. Like one of my passions <laughs> is surfing, diving, fishing, skin diving, free diving, spearfish. Like that's my, that's my passion. I said, well, taking this job as a GS-13, it's not what I would want to do with my life. And she goes, well, if you could live anywhere, where would you want to live? I was like Pensacola because I originally grew up in the Pensacola area and I just felt this calling to come back to Pensacola and I moved back to Pensacola. I was still doing contract work and I started serving at my local church here at Olive Baptist and uh, it was in Olive Baptist where, I mean, dude, it was like a sledgehammer to the chest. God's like, I want you here. Hmm. This is what I want you to do. And then one thing led to another and then I just took a full-time position as the college young professional director at Olive Baptist Church down here. Yeah, in Pensacola as of August. Awesome. And then, it, we're talking about the worst time to take on a ministry, though, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, COVID. Be, I can't get on the campuses right now. Yeah. I can't, it's just been one thing after another, but God has been blessing the socks off of our ministry. Mm-hmm. We started, you know, the, 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 the guy before me was an incredible guy who's still within our church. He moved to the education minister. And he just really laid the groundwork for me. And, you know, man, despite COVID, I'm having over 115, 120 college students showing up to our college nights. And the amount of growth and discipleship that I'm seeing, man, guys, we've got a young generation that is hungry for the word, that is hungry for the truth, and they want to get deep. They're sick of hearing this wave top Stephen Furtick crap. They want to get deep and they want to get down into the weeds and they want to understand why they believe what they will believe. What is good theology? What does the Bible say? And they want expositional preaching. And God has given me mm-hmm. such an incredible ground. Like this, the, the, the soil is so fertile down here. It's incredible. Yeah. And so that's how I made the transition. It was just step by step. And God just, I mean, seriously, God just hooked me up with my because tra- transitioning out of active duty military to a civilian job is one of the hardest things you can do mm-hmm. because it, you go from, and it was super scary. And I, I won't be out, out until this November. So I'm still technically in, I retire, not retire, but I separate in November. Uh, and the thought of being done and having that kind of cut off from the rest of my life is scary for me because that was my whole life. That's my, that was my world. You know, mm-hmm. if, if I did say that was also my identity, but like, you know, they take care of you. There's a brotherhood, you know, there's so many good friends and stuff. And then now I'm kind of moving that to the side and now taking where God's wanting me to go. Sorry, that was a really long explanation and answer to your question. No, no, no. I loved it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, what you said about uh, fertile ground for our youth, our young adults today, I I totally wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, They have one of the biggest issues that I think the believing youth that young adults have is that they haven't seen a consistent walk with their family, like with their parents. And I think that's a huge hindrance 
And the other side of it is that um, they really haven't been fed the like the tough questions have never been dealt with. And they and especially if they're a believer and they and they come up through public education, um, what they're the worldviews that are being pressed upon them in their public education versus what they're hearing at the church, they're not they're not meshing in any way. And they also oftentimes walk away feeling as though the answers aren't being presented to them. Uh, and so they are hungry in that way. And I think deep down inside, obviously God's doing a work and he's pulling them and he, he's, he's literally calling out to them. So they know that there's truth. They just, ha- they just want to be more convinced, I guess, is what I'm, you know, they want to be sure. Um, and I mean, this is how I met you, Rosie. Mm. I was doing, a, I did a whole series on called I Apologize. <laughs> That's what we called it. And I just picked different topics and I did a whole topic, a whole ser- sermon on Islam and uh and i called it like it was i talked about the origins how you know it came through a, a demon <laughs> you know named gabriel that he called himself and some of the things even i've learned m- way more even since then about islam but uh you were like you came rosie came up to me and was like dude thanks for saying that stuff because he had been studying it himself you know as a young adult so yeah i'm totally down with that i i see the the great potential right now i think a harvest field's kind of set up right now well the thing is is think like my you know rachel my generation and everyone else's like our age we're raised with you know you don't really want to ask questions uh you know if you ask questions well the bible says so and uh, you would kind of get these canned messages back to you Mm -hmm. and no one would real really be real with you and blunt because like you know one thing that i had struggled with uh I, I, my dad was a pastor. I grew up as a pastor's kid, kind of getting into a testimony here. I was what you would consider a self-deceived Christian. I thought I was a Christian, but in fact, I was not a Christian. And I joined the military. I started doing things that was contrary to what Christ would have me do. And had, Hmm. had my father or had the, not my father, but had any of the people who had indulged in my life said, don't have sex before marriage. And oh, by the way, this is sex. This is considered sex, you know, and go right. through it bit by bit by bit because you're like, well, that's not technically this. Yeah. Right. And buzz, buzz drinking isn't necessarily getting drunk. Well, drunk isn't getting blacked out. So that's not, you know, if you had people that would just shoot straight with you, if you had a guy behind the pulpit said, hey, I struggled with this. I had problems with this and God saved me from this and God can save you. People want real because they're going to get it from social media. They're going to get yeah. it from any kind of an online platform. And here's the crazy thing is, you know, we didn't grow up. None of us here grew up with like the access to information, the way that young children and young adults mm-hmm. and everyone else have information to. So guess what? If they're really looking for truth, they can find it because back when we all grew up, you're having to look in books we're having to use a Dewey decimal system at the library. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. And now it's like, if you really have a question, right, you can Google it. And I had a young adult uh, talking to me the other day and he's like, Hey, you know, could you help, help me figure out, you know, a lot of the guys within my, you know, job or my school, uh, that they want to know what's the difference between Christianity and Catholicism. Hmm. So I was like, Oh dude. And so I started laying it out for him and I go, actually, I've got a great book here by RC Sproul. I would love yeah. to give you. And he goes, <laughs> Ah, uh, you know what? I'll be honest with you, man. I'm probably not going to read it. I said, well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, buddy. I go, do you want me to spoon feed you answers or do you actually, are you actually seeking truth? And shockingly, 
he said, I want you to spoon feed me answers. I couldn't believe wow. it. <laughs> and so here's the thing, you know, and this kind of gets into my theology is if people are truly seeking after Christ and they're seeking after answers, guess what? They're going to find the answers. But sometimes what they need is guys like you and girls like Rachel and myself, guys like me to be able to, Hey, can I bounce some ideas off of you? I disagree with this. Can you have a discussion with me about why I don't believe that the Bible is the inspired infallible word of God? Rachel, can I talk with you and you answer these questions with me and, and work through this with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that is what we need more of because in our generations growing up, how dare you question the Bible? Right. Don't dare question that. I'm questioning it. So, right. <laughs> you know? It's almost like they have this. Uh, oh, sorry, Rose. Did you? No, go, go. They, they, like, um, you know, and I, as a parent of a pastor who got, I've got three kids. They grew up in minute around ministry. Um, it's almost as though, uh, to question it is God can't handle that question. (laughs) That's the, that's what, that's the, what you're communicating to someone when, when they ask those questions and you're like, Oh, you shouldn't even question that, man. That's, you know, you're, that's, that's hallowed ground, man. Mm -hmm. You know? And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, so God, God has off limits areas that I'm not allowed to, but <laughs> you know, like, come on, man, he can handle your doubts. He can handle your questions. And there probably is an answer yeah. in the word anyways, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, that was going to be one of the things we talk a lot about on the podcast about um, this other theologian that we really like a lot. Um, and, you know, his whole thing was like trying to not, uh, protect people from their Bible anymore. That's like his kind of thing. And uh, it's just so interesting because it's, I mean, I I feel so bad because we always talk about this, but it's like, yeah, I had these weird answers and, or questions that like, I, I come across them all the time. The more I read, the more I'm like, well, that's really weird. Or why is it worded that way? Mm -hmm. Or something like that. Or, um, you know, even the stuff that we're given with, uh, I'm trying to think of like an example of like Jonah and the in the whale, you know, like the very base level thing that we get taught is like, oh yeah, you know, the fish swallowed him, and then this guy miraculously survived, you know, like, and I picture, uh, you know, like in Pinocchio where he's just like sitting there, you know, hanging out with a little lamp on a candle, just hanging out, you know, not <laughs> being degraded by you right. know the fish's uh, stomach acid or anything like that, which I mean. Granted, I can totally be cool with that. Like, if God could protect him, that's that's fine. Yeah. But, like, when someone would ask me, like, hey, man, how does that work? You know, like, someone was questioning that. Like, that sounds a little silly. Yeah. And, I, yeah, the thing, you know, just, like, the more um, extravagant things that were just taken. And I was never taught how to, like, I really like yeah. apologetics as well because it makes me feel like I can actually defend stuff much in the same way. So I really appreciate that kind of stuff. Um but like my faith deepens when I find mm-hmm. out that there is an answer and um, like the reason that it's being hid from hid from me is because they think like it's almost like churches, some churches I grew up with, they're like, we don't want you to question anymore like that in the same way. And it's like telling you to like, it's one of the reasons I'll say this. One of the reasons I don't like Catholicism is because it was always like this thing of, the lay people, you can't handle this. We're going to tell you what the Bible says because you you can't handle it on your own. And now that's being taught in like evangelical churches where it's like, this part's really weird. Uh, just don't read into it. Just trust that like 
God's good. Yeah. You know, like when we read over something or they just not even talk about it or they'll just read this verse and like, okay. They won't even address They won't it. even address yeah. like this one huge line. And <laughs> well, the, the, the big thing is what you're saying here is, you know, within my college ministry is they want straight shooters, right? Yeah, they yeah. want you to shoot straight with them. And so anytime that I'm teaching or preaching, so right now my, my college group, we're going through the book of Colossians. Hmm. So as I prepare my, my, my sermons and ever, as I prepare my teachings, I immediately will see, okay, what are some objects of skepticism that will come yeah. up from this? Uh, and I present that to them and I talk about this because my whole thing and my philosophy of ministry is, is if, if I am saying something that offends you, that rubs you wrong, I'm hoping this is what the Bible says: stirring one another up. It's a friction, right? It's, it's, it's a movement of two forces against each other. My hope is that you're going to go to your Bible to try and prove me wrong. And mm -hmm. one of two things is going to happen. You're going to go back into the scriptures and look it up to be like, no, Hey, Ethan, this is wrong. And here's why. And you support it with scripture or you're going to go to prove me wrong. Be like, Oh, shoot, you're right. <laughs> and so that is what I like to preach and I like to teach. And sometimes I say things uh, behind the pulpit and my, my wife always gets a kick out of this. She's like, I don't believe he said that. I'm like, well, <laughs> hey, hey, hon, I got to keep it real because if I'm not keeping it real, they're going to search elsewhere. And guess what, guys? There is no shortage of garbage yeah. out there where people yeah. are going to get what they want to hear. And I'm not trying to give them what they want to hear. I'm trying to give them what they need to hear. And what the scriptures say they need to hear. Yeah. But on the flip side of this, what I also see happening within contemporary America is we saw a resurgence of the Reformation, mm. uh, just, I would say, within the last five years. And I've seen the pendulum swing to the complete opposite direction, where we're now getting almost legalistic in what and how we practice our theology. And now I hear people talking and brandishing, well, I'm Reformed in my theology. I'm like, well, cool. You're not Catholic, right? Yeah. You're Reformed. Right. You're protesting <laughs> this. You're like, well, you, you, no, no, no. You, you don't understand what I mean. My soteriology is, you know, I go, I get it, but you got to pump the brakes on this yeah. because in one aspect, we're, give, we're not giving enough information to new converts. And then the other aspect, when we get these new converts, you got these guys and girls who are ready to just sit there and pipe hit them over the head yeah. with yeah. Boom, 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 all this other stuff. And like, you need to be doing liturgies, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that. And you're like, whoa, mm -hmm. what do I even need to do to just maintain my Christian status? Right, like, right. What does a disciple look like now? And one thing that I've noticed, especially within the Southern Baptist churches, and one thing that my church is very focused on fixing is we have such a focus on evangelism. We get them in the doors, and then they mm -hmm. go well, right out the back door because there's no discipleship yep, happening. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And so what we... Uh, the guy who was in my position before, who's the education minister now, he's developed this incredible growth track. Where, hey, hey, guess what? You know, you, you just became a Christian Christ. Boom, we're setting you up on this growth track to go this direction. Here's how you need to be doing. And it needs to be a cyclical model of how, hey, you're a convert, you're a disciple, now you're building, now you're going to go out and serve, and you're going to come back and serve either in the local church or you're going to go out in the church universal and serve in that way. And so we've got in my opinion, Christians, modern evangelicals today, we're fighting two different fronts. One, we're fighting the front of the atheists, agnostics, and other religions. On the same front, we're fighting within. within. Yeah, yeah. And one thing that I wanted to bring up, because I think you guys are going to love to have this discussion, is something mm. that I've been studying about. I wrote a paper on it. America is not the chosen country. 
Yeah. We are not God's people. We are not Israel. The, the, the verse, and I know I'm going to be stirring the pot here with what I'm about to say here, but I think you guys are hurt <laughs> for it. It's Come on, the man. Verse of, <laughs> the verse, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven and they will turn from their good ways. That is not America, guys. That's not us. There is a distinct, based off of my theological understanding, right? and I could be wrong, I'm not going to say I'm 100% right, that was specifically for Israel. We, the church has not replaced Israel. Wait, There's wait, wait, hold on. That's not for me personally? Are you kidding me? If I see one more picture, and this just irritates the ever-living... I'm not going to get political. <laughs> I want to get political. If I see one more photo of Donald Trump sitting behind the pole, like behind his desk, <laughs> with Jesus massaging his neck, yes, yes, America is not God's country. Uh, America is not in the scriptures. A Genesis chapter twelve, the Abrahamic covenant, does not apply to America. I'm sorry to say this, folks. America is not the chosen country. America right. does not need. Tax exemption. We don't need the 501c status breaks from the government, church and state. It, it, in my opinion, this COVID stuff. In, I've, I, in one aspect, it's been horrific, but in other aspects, this has been thinning the herd within the church to yeah. show, truly in Christ, where, where has the soil, where has the seed fallen yeah. on the soil? Yeah. Soil, you know. And so when I when I am seeing, we have so westernized Christianity, it mm. makes me sick to my stomach yeah and we've we have got to fix this if i hear one more or see one more th social media i hate it and love it at the same time <laughs> i hate it i see so much misinformation sorry <laughs> i'm trying to time these better but you keep talking <laughs> that, that was good but it drives me nuts because i see someone who's developed theology based off of memes based off of small <laughs> of news articles yep. and if you start to push on it they have no clue why they believe what they believe yeah and so my philosophy of ministry is i want you and i actually was talking with rachel about this before is uh we were talking about old testament uh feasts and celebrations mm -hmm. and i think what rachel's going with this philosophy wise philosophically wise makes complete sense but then like everything in this world you've got the extreme left and the extreme right yeah mm -hmm. right so you need to have the opportunity to allow other individuals to express because a lot of times we have great thoughts up in our brain and then when we speak it out and you repeat back to them this is rhetoric and you repeat back to them and logic what they just said and you lead them on the logical conclusion of where mm -hmm. it's going most of the time they're like no 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 that's not that's not what I meant well that's what you said guy yeah oh well I didn't mean it like that well then tell me what you meant but most of the time people just regurgitate information that they're seeing in social media. And so guys, we need Christians who are educated, who know what they believe, why they believe it, and actually can express their biblical worldview. And did you notice I said biblical worldview yeah, yeah. and not world? Yeah. You need, you need to start. Sorry, this is something I'm passionate about. I'll shut up now. No, that's <laughs> awesome. I, I was just going to say, you need to, you need to name your ministry. If you haven't uh, deeper than a meme ministries. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to 
like they playing off of deeply rooted too much. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I just see uh, it's been super apparent and just, uh, I don't know. I'm sure this is not new that it, I, I, I don't think that what I'm about to say is like super profound. Um, but hey, if you didn't think about this, then I will totally take the pat on the back. But um, it seems like this is the more you keep talking about it is like you're I, I just keep seeing like the like even though it, it, you changed complete career fields from like doing SEER training and, you know, combat rescue, all this stuff with, with the Air Force. And now you're in ministry. And it seems like, you know, maybe at first before we we're talking like, oh, wow, that's really you know, there's no real logical line there, or those are so different. But the more you keep talking, the more I'm just like, you're doing the exact same thing. Like in one in the Air Force, you're preparing like- For combat, for, well, for training. Yeah, yeah, but I was gonna say someone to survive on their own. You know, like if you get, cat, you know, you wanna have all the tools, all the resources, so that the worst case scenario, and you know, you get, you know, I, I, I'm, not military so i can't think of a very accurate thing but like you know my knowledge of movies or something your plane <laughs> gets shot down you're in the wilderness you got a broken leg you know you're behind enemy lines hopefully you know you you have the seer training and all the other schools that they go to to survive long enough on your own based on like knowledge and can handle things as they come as like the worst case scenario you know besides being captured um and much in the same way you're equipping like people in like ministry to be able to go out on their college campuses. It just keeps, it just keeps going back in my head. Like you're training people so that they can be, you know, it's, you don't want, uh, maybe you can say if you agree with this, but I assume that you don't want people to say like, Hey, I can't answer that. Let me bring you to my church because my pastor can answer that for you. You want to like equip that person to be able to say, with confidence, like, hey, let me, let me, let me talk to you, yeah. friend. That's right. And let because we have a a uh, connection already. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're equipping people to survive on their own in this hellhole <laughs> of like liberal education, Marxism. You know all this stuff. So I don't know. I just thought that was really cool that like it's still the heart of what you're doing it is very apparent that it's like, you're just helping people survive in a different way. And it's really cool. And I, before we get too much further into the weeds, I just wanted to point that out that it was just kept jumping at me and it's really cool, man. Just, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I saw, I, I, it's funny you said it because that's exactly what I saw is I, I see so much, so much of a parallel yeah. between spiritual warfare and actual warfare. And, uh, you know, if you, if you look, back on too and like what was the writers were saying in the new testament i mean think about it they, they seen war even if yeah. they didn't participate in it they saw skirmishes and stuff because that's just how it was back then and so when you, when you see the apostle paul talking about uh you know having some kind of a physical uh, ability to oops i bought my door there uh <laughs> having a physical ability you know to bodybuild or you know to fix yourself like that's good and all but it's not as good as studying the scriptures and you're right. My, my goal is I don't want my college students to be on their campus, get pushed back and then be like, Oh, well, Hey, come, come to crossroads on Tuesday night. And my college pastor can answer that for, you No, I want them to sit there. Yeah. Uh, I see myself as a force multiplier. I affect my, my group of 120 and then those 120 should be able to affect 240, which will affect, you know, and just ripple effect down and down and down. My goal 
And my wife said, I don't know if you should use this song or use this phrase is I want to have a revolution sparked out across America mm-hmm. on our college campuses. Yeah. And she goes, well, I don't know if I like that word revolution. I go, well, did you ever listen to the Kirk Franklin song? Do you want a revolution from back in the nineties? <laughs> so that's kind of like, I grew up on that and that's yeah. kind of what I want to see. I think, I think we can do that. I think this should happen. I, I don't see why we cannot start a revolution, uh, on our college campuses that is just going to compound and go and go. The way yeah. I view my ministry is I grew up playing command and conquer. Do you guys ever remember that, yeah, that yeah, game yeah. on the computer? If yeah. you remember, you start out in a small map and everything else is black, mm-hmm. right? It's just unknown. And then you send one or two guys out to go explore and your map kind of broadens, your horizon kind of expands and you see what's going on out there. And what I'm doing with my college students, I have a 32 college leaders that I have that I'm, trying to bring up in my discipleship model to disciple others and others and others. So it becomes a cyclical model here is that they're going out there and they're the ones expanding it. I don't need to be the focal point of everything. Mm. My whole idea is I need to be working myself out of a job. Yeah. 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 I, I don't need to be just creating and compounding my ministry. Like, Oh, look how great I am. No, 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 no. I'm already identifying who's the next young man within my group that I think could do what I'm doing so God can use me and bring me to another location or that I can use this individual, bring him up and send him out to a hard hitting area around the U S or overseas to effectively evangelize for Christ. I mean, look at how the apostles did this. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, you want to talk, like I wouldn't want to leave my band of 12, you know, I, I wouldn't want to do that. You know, our Messiah just died. Our teacher, our rabbi just died. Our, 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 our camaraderie is tight. And then all of a sudden we now know after Jesus came back, then he spent time with us and he's hanging out with us. And he's like, all right, I'm leaving so that the helper can come here now, guys. It's better that this happens and you need to go out. I can't imagine if I was Peter or whomever else, Matthew, it, it, and I now have to leave my buddies. Yeah. But guess what? That, that is what you look at this, right? Christ died at 33 AD. Right, roughly, scholars will kind of push back on that, but I like to. That's the timeline I operate off of. Christ died 33 A.D. You look at from 33 A.D. until Paul, when Paul's writing Colossians in roughly 60, 62 A.D., how much that church has exploded. When mm-hmm. you look at Acts chapter two and you see Pentecost happen, and you see 3,000 members immediately, and many, 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 many were added to their number daily. Mm-hmm. This religion of Christianity, right, it is such a new religion. And look how it has spread across the globe. And look how many times Christians have been slaughtered, martyred. Uh, it, it blows my mind. But yet, despite despite the world trying to crush Christianity, we continue, right? It's like, you know, when you step on fire ants. I hate fire ants down here. You step on a bunch of them. You, you even, you know, rub your heel in trying to kill them. They just spread out. They squirt out the side is what we used to call it when we would drop bombs. They would be, they'd call, they'd be called squirtles. <laughs> Like, how did they survive that? It's because the church of God will not fail. Mm-hmm. The church yeah, will succeed. Right. It will fail regardless of what happens. Yeah, persecution is really good for the for for the kingdom yeah. uh, because it brings up saints that uh, are emboldened in ways that they never would have imagined, and then it also uh, you can't stop the Holy Spirit. And people, when people see people that are willing to sacrifice everything for the gospel, their identity, their reputation, their even their life. Uh, when people see that, it it's a huge impact. I mean, 
thumb through the bo- Fox's Book of Martyrs someday, yeah. and you'll walk away thinking, "Man, I suck at living for Jesus." <laughs> you know, you'll when you see some of these stories, and you know, I don't know how accurate they are, but even if they're halfway accurate, they're still amazing. The the faith and the faithfulness of these saints that were, but um, so when you think about the college students today and how they're moving, I mean, the the entire higher education system has been completely kidnapped by socialism and communism and, you know, ultra liberalism. Uh, and I've even, uh, we have a good friend of the show of the podcast. His name is Cabot, um, Cabot Phillips. And he, he's campus reform. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They're a political organization, but he used to do these, uh, he'd go to, go to campuses and he'd have a microphone and he just would start asking questions and he would ask, he would like trick them. He'd do like the whole, like, so, um, have you heard about uh, Donald Trump? And you know, he's uh, he deleted all these emails. I'm just off the top of my head, you know. And they'd be like, "Oh, that's terrible! That's terrible!" He goes, "No, that was actually Hillary." I'm sorry, I got my facts wrong. And they'd be like, "What?" And and he would just do the hoodwink thing and trick them and make them look stupid or whatever. And uh, but uh, on the campuses, a lot of these uh, conservatives would say, "Man, I'm being persecuted just for being a conservative," and the Christians have actually gone silent because if they even if it even gets out that they're a believer or that they trust Jesus uh, they're gonna just get just hammered way more than a conservative would um, what's like I mean the uh, my answer is just be bold take it take it on the chin it's gonna be good for you and for Jesus so just go for it God put you there but it's easy for me to say who's almost 50 and I'm not on a college campus right I would say it's time and place. You've got to choose the right time and the right place for you to make your stand. I, I think there's inopportune times in which individuals can make their stand. You've got to be, you've got to be smart in how you approach it. And I like to use, I always refer people back to Acts chapter 17. And if you look at Acts chapter 17 and how Paul's in Athens, right? Paul was definitely the minority in that group in which he's now not debating. And I, I like to make this point. He's reasoning, he's reasoning, not debating, not speaking at, not talking to. I love Ben Shapiro. Don't get me wrong. I love that guy. And I love a lot of what those, that, that whole section of people do. However, I, I think the, their approach uh, is not the best. Uh, my, your goal shouldn't be to be like, aha, gotcha, you know, and make you feel dumb and stupid. Paul went there and he reasoned with them. He answered their questions. And guess what? He knew their worldview and he knew what they were believing. Yeah. So he armed himself with the knowledge and the understanding of, hey, this is probably what they're going to approach me with. This is what they're going to say to me. And here's how I can counteract that. Because our culture right now has a problem with not hearing the other person's side of the story. We have a lack of empathy all around. And if I can arm myself with understanding, okay, uh, I was at a college campus last year before all this COVID hit, and I had uh, an Islamic club come up to me as I was there on the club, and she, she she spoke a little bit Arabic. I spoke a little bit Arabic back with her, and she said, hey, I would love for you to come out to our, our Muslim uh, meetup. And I said, I would love to. However, I don't think you're going to appreciate what I have to say. <laughs> and she said, what do you mean? I said, well, first off, you're a woman talking to me right now, which is unacceptable in accordance with Islam. If you read the Quran, this is, should not be happening in the first place. However, I will be free to talk with you about this. She goes, wow, you, you know more than I do. And 
I don't know that much, guys. I am not that smart on Islam. Um, but the thing is, is if you actually take take some time to read a book, to hear the other perspective of things, it's going to help you out so much more. So I agree with you. If you speak up in the college campus and you're not ready to back up what you're saying with facts and with logic, then in my opinion, and I'm sure people would disagree with me, you should. it's better you keep your mouth shut and wait for you to have a, a better response. Because mm-hmm. if your response is, that's wrong, the Bible says so, you've got to back it up more, you're going to look like an ignorant Christian. And, yeah. I, and I hate to say that because the Bible is absolutely the source and the stream of all of our information. Everything I say and do should be either coming from or pointing to the scriptures. But a lot of times we don't know where to even refer back to the scriptures to support my argument. So if you can do that and you can look back in the scriptures and you can say, well, hey, in this section here in First Peter 3.15, he tells me I need to be able to give you an answer, but I need to do so with humility and humbleness and grace if anyone who asks me for the hope that is within me. Okay, boom, that makes sense. I get that. Yeah. But then also look at extra biblical references as well. Nothing makes an atheist, and again, I'm not saying this to like boast or anything, but nothing makes an atheist or agnostic or humanist or nationalist or anyone up, more upset than when you reference extra biblical reasons outside of the Bible, outside of Christianity to support your viewpoint, your standing. And you say something, like, Oh, well, that's just because of the Bible. I'm like, actually, no, that is from Christopher Hitchens who said this, or this is from this guy who said that. Mm-hmm. And then they have no idea what to respond back to. Yeah. yeah. And here, here's the, here is really what you're asking. Too often Christians think that the burden of proof is on them to prove that Christianity is true. And I say that is a huge negative. The burden of proof is on the, the skeptic, the individual questioning why you believe what you believe. Yeah. 90% of the time in which I have had these arguments or discussions with individuals, they have no backing or facts or proof to present to me on why they disagree with what I believe. So the Christian, if no one walks away with anything else from this podcast, the Christian does not need to assume that the burden of proof is on them. And what do I mean by the burden of proof? You do not have to sit there and give answers back to back to back to back to back for all these questions. Cause guess what? They're going to continue to come up with all these different fallacies and everything else that they're going to be throwing at you. And you're going to feel like, Oh my word, like they're, they're shooting a submachine gun at me and I don't know how to respond to this. Yeah. yeah. The burden of proof is on the individual that is questioning your beliefs to present facts and arguments on why they disagree with what you as a Christian believe. Most of the time, that doesn't happen. And so what I encourage my college students to do, if you get to a situation in which this isn't a cop-out, I do not see this as a cop-out at all. If they ask you a hard question, well, how do you know Jesus actually rose from the dead? And you, you can't come up with the answers and be like, well, what do you think? Why do you think that Jesus didn't rise from the dead? How about you present facts to me on why you think the contrary, right? Because atheism is always given as a default position, right? You guys know what I mean by default position? And that's incorrect, right? Atheism is not a default position, but so often atheism steals from Christianity. Atheism steals from our belief system to support and back up their own facts. And 90% of the time too, I say 90% of the time, but it's true. You push back on atheism and you say, you can't believe that because that's an absolute truth. And according to atheism, there is no absolute objectivity to truth because you have no standard for truth. And in fact, everything you're saying is null and void. So how do you support that? 
you flip the conversation back onto them and allow them the chance to voice out because too often Christians feel like we're the need, you know, we're, we're digging in our heels. Now I'm going to defend this to the death. That's awesome. You need to be able to defend that. But at the same time, if we look at rhetoric and we look at debate, there always has to be two sides to the argument. And 90% of the time, I'd say a hundred percent of the time, take the other side out. It's just a Christian sitting there trying to bob up and down in the water, like, like gasping for air. How can I respond? How can I respond? Cause eventually I don't care who you are. You're going to run out of answers to give these people. Cause they're just going to keep, I mean, I've had some of the most wasp questions asked me. I'm like, where did you, I've never even heard that question before. <laughs> How did you arrive at that you know, question? And, people have got some weird funky things going in their head yeah Yeah. i had a guy actually uh we got in the weeds one time back and forth and he he literally his it boiled down to him admitting that his big problem was uh the inconsistencies of when jesus rode in on good friday uh you know or on palm sunday when he rode into one of the one of the gospels says he rode on a the cult on the back of a cult and the other one, you know, the prophecy out of um, Micah or Malik, wherever the, uh, I forget the the Old Testament prophet uh, was that it was a donkey. And he's like, but a cult and a donkey are two different animals. You have a, dino, a, a you know, a donkey and a horse, basically a cult. And I'm like, dude, are you serious? Like, that's your, that's your thing. Like, that's going to be your hang up. You know, he rose from the dead. Like he rose from the dead. He had, we have 500 eyewitnesses. <laughs> donkey is where you're drawing the line. Yeah. Sand guy. Yeah. Uh, and I just remember, I wish I would have known like, uh, back, this is years and years ago, you know, unfortunately, but, um, and he never really, he never really. So came. you just, you just, that was him. That was his one chance. If you would have answered that back then, he, would, he would be in heaven yes, now right. because you did not. Well, I think he's still alive, so he's got a chance. So. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> just I disagree with that statement. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm sorry, keep going. Yeah, but uh, okay, I want to I shift from uh, from really um, evangelism and, and, and the whole side, the outward focus to the inward focus. You said, I see it on two fronts. You said, I see the atheism on one side or, or the, you know, the whole liberalism, communism on the one side, but on the other side within the church, there's this, this amazing division that's happening. And uh, I agree with you. Like I, when I look at the landscape of the evangelical world right now, it's, it's insane. It's insane. And, uh, you know, it doesn't help by Instagram. It doesn't help because you got, you got all these self-proclaimed prophets and, you know, pastors and people and they're speaking for God and you're just like cringy, cringy, cringy. And then you throw in, you throw in Q and flat earth and all these other things. Next thing you know, you just got a soup full of just bizarros and nobody wants to touch that with a 10 foot pole, you know, by the way, I got called out by, um, Stephen Furtick one time on Twitter. So no way. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't like I don't know. I don't know. I gave him some good advice to, that he should pray for his sermon prep and he didn't like that. So maybe that was on me a little bit. But. Well, I, I like to say with within your within your question there, I Revelation uh twenty two eighteen I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. So if anyone adds to, right? So if someone receives special revelation in this day, if someone receives a direct vision from God, if someone sees or says, God told me, technically speaking, if we want to follow the principles of what should have been added into the canon or what needs to be added into the canon, we need to reopen the Bible and add that into another section of the Bible. 
However, we do not need to do that. Why? Because the canon is closed. We should not add anything else to, or as the Greek word says, they will be anathema, accursed, if you add anything else to this book. And so a lot of what we see here happening, like you were just saying, is we see a lot of prophecies, visions, uh, legs that are unlevel and, you know, they need to be stretched out. I, I don't know if you've seen what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I've seen these miracle guys that, you know, uh, oh, your leg is shorter than the other leg. My word, I didn't know how many people had short legs. But if we're seeing the special revelation, we're seeing this, it needs to be added to the Bible. Otherwise, it ceases to be special revelation, and it detracts from the necessity and the authority of Scripture. If you want to hear God speak out loud, take open your Bible, open it up, and read it out loud, and that's God. I, I, granted, I mean, I'm, I'm shifting gears here, but I don't, I'm not trying to get into the charismatic movement here as well. But what I'm saying, though, is we see that division on one end, this atheism, agnosticism, and, you know, after going through all my schooling, uh, and I'm learning this from the scholastic point of view, a lot of the arguments for the case of the resurrection are null and void. It's been decided that Jesus did, in fact, raise from the dead. There, there's just so much hard evidence that that, in fact, did happen, but yet people still want to bring back up old topics that was covered way back in the day. Yeah, I'm talking well before any of us were born. But what we see happening now is within our own within our own churches, within Western America, there has been this muttering down or mudding down or detracting down on the authority of Scripture. I, I mm-hmm. ultimately, if I can point it back to anything, it is the role and the authority of Scripture and how does that play in the individual's lives. Yeah. If you have a high view of Scripture, everything else flows from that, you're going to be solid. Yep. If you have a low view of scripture, then of course I need to hear what your opinion is on, well, I don't necessarily think that Paul meant that, or I believe that Jesus didn't necessarily fulfill all the prophecies found in Isaiah, or I don't really think that, you know, Moses really existed, or, you know, no. If you have a high view of scripture, it starts and ends with that. So Mm -hmm. my apologetical method, I'm a presuppositionalist, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, what that means is I don't feel like I need to argue. I argue based off of what I see in Romans 1, that the law of God is written on every man's heart. Mm-hmm. So I go with that, and that's kind of more with the reform style, yeah. is that I don't need to sit here and debate and to argue because I know that you know that there's something wrong. What the old reformer said was called the sensus divinitatis. The sense of the divine is written on everyone's hearts. That is why we see so much paganism. That's why we see so much idolatry is because everyone has this I hate to, I'm about to cringe what I'm about to say, <laughs> that God-shaped hole in their heart, yeah. right? But they try and sit, they try and soup that up with a whole bunch of other, other things. And that is because they have a sense of something that is other than that. There is a, there is a, a woman that I served with in the military. I don't want to say her name, uh, for years. Uh, I've known her for a long time. She is a lesbian. Uh, the furthest thing you could ever think from being a Bible believing Christian she is having conversations with me right now about God and the work in her life. It blows my mind. It, it It's insane to me. I bought her an ESV study Bible and I've been working through things with her and, and it, we're making steps forward, taking some steps back, but ultimately it's on the spirit and the power of scripture to work in her heart. Yeah, but yeah. people want to talk about miracles today. Look at the transformed life of what God's done in you, what God's done in me and how I see God working in this young woman. It, you, 
tell me I'm wrong here. <laughs> I mean, how else can God take someone out of just complete sin? Like, granted, I view homosexuality and everything else just as bad as I view idolatry, adultery, everything. It's all the same, right? Everyone right. has their own sin. Mm-hmm. If I think that my sin is less than a homosexual's, I'm dead wrong. God doesn't see that that way. And you see this transformed life. Tell me the scripture is not powerful, that it can speak through that. It can speak through sin and change someone to do an about turn from the way they were going and the way that God wants them to go. It, it blows my mind. And that I'm just, this is this is fresh. I, I was having this conversation with her this week, so be in prayer awesome. for her. Yeah. Because, I, it, man... I, I, and this is going to sound kind of counterintuitive. I mean, if, if she's one of the elect and God changes her around, oh my word, like, yeah, I, yeah. I know God's real and I know he's active, but man, that's like, holy smokes. Like, this is more than legit, legit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. those things that happen, you're like, holy cow. Like, it, in my opinion, it just reaffirms why I believe what I believe. You see something like this happen, like this this isn't fake, because I think it's okay for us to have doubts. Even us guys like us and girls like you, Rachel, is I think it's okay for us to have these doubts because if you're not doubting that and you're not working out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling, then maybe you need not apply. You know, maybe maybe you're just, you know, you've gotten to this level of comfortability in which you're like, Yeah, I'm good. Set it into cruise control. Let's see what happens. That's actually but, a really good. She, that's a good point. I want to bring. I want to bring that out because, uh, first of all, I want to just ask our listeners to pray for this woman, that the Lord would move on her heart and that she would uh, she would just um, yield to the the voice of the Lord and surrender her heart and life to the Lord. Because uh, and but I, whenever I look at miracles, I just when I look at Rosie, I just think if God can save that guy, then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, looking at him, I, I agree with you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a, a saved soul is a true miracle. You going from that's resurrection, man. You went from yeah. death to life, and and only God can do that. So it is a miracle. Every every salvation is a miracle, and it's God's straight mercy. Like He doesn't have to do this. He loves us. But um, what I was going to bring, I want to kind of go back to our original question for a minute, because, and you did touch a little bit on like kind of the pendulum swing of the charismatics, the craziness of, of that. But um, we, you, when you were mentioning the reform, reformed uh, circles earlier, I had to laugh because uh, Rosie and I were part of a, a pretty deep reformed circle of guys doing a Bible study for a while. And uh, it was like, um, it, it wasn't as bad as this, but it's like how what cigar you're smoking, what bourbon you're going to drink and what baby you're going to baptize, you know, <laughs> like that proves your, your, your depth of your reformed, you know, uh, you know, whatever theology. And I remember thinking in that Bible study, how I felt like I was being trained how to teach people how to be Calvinist more than I was teaching them how to be disciples of Christ. And they would argue that with me, but I would walk away and go, why does it always revolve around the five, the five things? And, you know, why does it always go back to that? And, um, and it was hard and, and it created some weird awkwardness there because I would never yield and I would be openly like vocal, like I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. And I got accused of being a Calvinist in my church that I was a pastor in, which was not a Calvinist church. And I got accused of being an Arminianist for my Calvinist friends in the Bible study. <laughs> I couldn't please anybody, man. And uh, I didn't care. I didn't care. But um, So what, what I find funny is I fell, my, I, found in, I fell into that category as well. I went from being Arminian to hardcore Calvinist 
but for one of my classes, I, I wrote a paper on the three main soteriological, which is the, the how one comes to know Christ. And yeah. how, have you actually looked into Orthodox Arminian theology? It makes sense. I get it. I can see where they're coming from. I do. It's not as clear cut as some people think it is. It's not a simple synergistic working out of the salvation. It's not like if you really look into it. And so a book I would recommend, um, hopefully I'm okay to do this. It's yeah. there's two books and it, it's great because uh, they both wrote a foreword for the other. So Michael Horton wrote a book called For Calvinism. And the foreword written for him was written by Roger Olson. And then Roger Olson is an Arminius. He wrote Arminian theology, and Michael Horton wrote a foreword for that. <laughs> and so right there, it's phenomenal because you see these two books outline uh, the, the different theological, soteriological understandings of salvation. And if you actually look into it, I think a lot more grace is going to be extended for our hardcore cage-stage Calvinists to extend that grace to Arminius, um, I, you know, uh, granted, I am by no means advocating Arminian theology. However, if someone has researched it, you know, to the fullest extent, to the logical extent, I will say, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I disagree with the interpretation of this passage and this passage. However, the third main one that we see that evolved kind of out of like the 1960s is the free grace soteriological understanding, which is from dispensationalism. Uh, and that the book that I read on that, which is actually a really good book, is written by David R. Anderson. It's called Free Grace Soteriology. And then another one is Dispensationalism and Free Grace, written by Grant Hawley. Uh, those are great books. If you're actually wanting to really understand and be an educated Christian, I would highly suggest you read those. So instead of you just thinking, oh, Tulip, that's all I need to know, Tulip. Okay. Do you do you even know what Arminius believes? So if you do talk to somebody is from an independent fundamental background, you can actually talk to them about yeah, this is what you believe and why you believe it. Yeah. Most of the time they'll be like, oh, I I didn't know that's what I believed. We actually believed. we actually had Gordon Olson on our podcast. Oh, did you? Yeah, he's written a couple great books. Uh, one is on what he calls immediate theology. And uh, it, it's basically balancing that whole Calvinistic, Armin, Arminianistic um, approach to soteriology. Uh, it's a great, it's episode 33 for all of our listeners if you want to listen to it. Um, I was talking about Roger Olson, though. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. No, we yeah, had. No, no, no. Gordon but I, I want to check that, that guy out. I want to check Gordon out, though. Yeah. So he, uh, he was a miss, missiologist. So uh, he was a missionary in, to Islam back in the 50s. He's an old guy. Wow. He's a very old guy. And he's he's now he teaches at Liberty still occasionally, but he's pretty he's pretty ancient. He's probably <laughs> retired. He might not even be with us now. He might be with Jesus right now. But um he actually takes apart the the words used in the scriptures uh and their original Greek meanings, which is so helpful. You know, I I still, you know, I, I was a pastor at Calvary Chapel Church for a long time. And um, and they always say they're Cal they're Calmenians, you know that was the big joke within them. Like we're Calmenians, and that never satisfied me. I always thought it was just like you're just trying to be in the middle of the road. But um, but now you know once I started to unpack it, I really wanted to work it out for myself. And then I found this book called Getting the Gospel Right Beyond Calvinism and Arminianism, and it was written by this um, C. Gordon Olson, who's who. Uh, you know, is a guy that you should check out, but I, I guess we didn't have him on our podcast. So, but, uh, I do like Horton. I like, you know, personally for me, 
the the systematic theologies and the um, reformed authors um, they just they just have a way of teaching me better like I I can read their books and walk away and it sticks for me a little bit better you know um, and, but I do try and look on both sides and it frustrates people because they want you to be in a camp they want you to settle down on one side or the other. They want you to speak in tongues or they want you to not speak in tongues. They want you to, you know, uh, believe in miracles for today or or all those things died with, with you know, the with the last apostle, you know, with John. Uh, and so I don't have a tendency to, to do that anymore. I just don't. I'm not going to. Yeah. It. My, my thing is, is the greatest attribute of a true believer that is full of the spirit is that they demonstrate the love of Christ. I would rather have fruit of the spirit than gifts of spirit any day, and that to me is the is the is the common denominator that we should all be looking for, because those things will work themselves out. The other things yeah, will it, they will. Well, and another warning I like to give to believers, if you guys are listening right now, who may be trying to witness to somebody, is do not try and win a soul through Calvinistic soteriology by trying to talk theology with an individual who's not even in. Christianity yet. And yeah. I've seen that happen a lot of times where they're like, Oh, I'm trying to witness to saying that, you know, perseverance of the saints and unlimited, you know, limited atonement. I'm like, Whoa, dude, like you've <laughs> right. got to slow your roll, son. Like you've got to, you've got to take a chill pill. Just stick with the gospel message, yeah. right? Stick with the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, the admittance of their sin or what Christ has done for them, the imputed righteousness. And then once they're in, they're baptized and let's slowly work. Like, I will never, I don't ever advertise myself as a reformed, uh, I, I reformed theology. And I have college students ask me all the time, Ether, are you reformed? I'm like, well, everyone's reformed. I'm not Catholic. So yeah, you, you could say that I am. Like, well, no, 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 no. Where, where do you stand on salvation? And I'll say, well, if you have to ask, and this is an anachronistic term is I, I would fall within the Calvinistic understanding, which I think Calvin would just cringe if he heard us saying that. Right. You know, I, I would say that I definitely fall towards that because I think if you really read the Apostle Paul and everything, we're dead in our trespasses and our sins. A dead person cannot make a decision on his own. Not only are we dead, we're in rebellion. I can't, in my deathbed, in rebellion against God, say, okay, God, I'm reaching out my hand. Take my hand. Help me out here. Like, that's just not going to happen. Right? It's monergistic, not synergistic. And so, that is how I will explain it. Everything else from there, I don't really get into much of my, you know, eschatology and stuff like that unless people really want to know. But just understanding the scriptures in a book that I will highly recommend, I read this through my seminary, is Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, Removing Cultural Blinders to Better Understand the Bible. It's written by E. Randolph Richards and Brandon J. O'Brien. You can get it off Amazon right now for 14 bucks. It was one of the first books I had to read in my seminary classes, and it just opened up my eyes like, holy smokes. Like, how do we as Americans misunderstand the scriptures, and especially if you've ever done mission work in mm -hmm. overseas areas and different cultures and stuff? <laughs> you cannot just, you know, spit the way that we will in evangelical America to, you know, uh, Burkina Faso, Africa. Uh, you, you just got to understand the culture and what you're going into yeah. and realize I may have taken some liberties or some understanding based off of my cultural presuppositions that they may not have. Yeah. So yeah. that's another book I recommend, but yeah, I agree with you, brother. Like you've just, man, it's, it's about 
Jesus, the actions and the work of Christ on the cross, everything else, man, it'll come. And I'm, I'm happy to say that I don't, I think I almost started to get into that cage stage, <laughs> but then as soon as I start, I immediately realized what was happening and I immediately stopped. And so now I'm trying to help other individuals that I'm recognizing young men and women that are into that. And Rachel, I know that you see this all the time on Instagram with all the circles that you run into. They just run to, they just point their, their azimuth to the sh- extreme, right? And they're like, boom, I'm running to that. And they just stay in that camp and they just stomp their feet all day long. Yeah. Yeah. Rachel, what about the, yeah, I think I see that too. Like the, well, it used to be, you couldn't say the word anti-vax and then now it's like, it's like almost trendy. It's like, no, well you get, you get blamed for it. If you want to pick and choose, you get blamed or, you know, you're so anti-science and everything. And it's like, no, 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 hold on. Pump the brakes a little bit. Like a normal person like wants some autonomy over their body when they're going to the hospital they don't want a b and c done to them so saying i don't want a and b i would like c that should be a normal thing like you should have that liberty and so the same thing should be applied to what you get your body injected with and somehow if you decline a and b and you're maybe okay with c after you do some research you're labeled as anti-vax and so people don't realize it but they're probably inherently more anti-vax than they think they are by just wanting bodily autonomy. However, it's like some scary label and people don't want to be labeled with it. So, you know, if you start to like actually have a conversation versus just throwing around labels, you'll realize you have more in common with people than, than they think. Yeah. See, um, I, I've been conditioned to accept vaccinations regardless of what they are <laughs> because in the military, it's, oh, so you don't have a choice. Yeah. And in this line and you're getting shot. What am I getting? I don't know. It's just a shot you got to get. And that's why when all this COVID stuff happened, I, I told my wife, I go, babe, I probably have some form of immunity with the amount of garbage running in my system. <laughs> yeah, no clue where I got put. Yeah, so she's like, how oh, should we do this and this? I'm like, I've been pumped with every drug known to man against all these vaccines. I think I'm okay. Uh, she may okay. just. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, there's several studies that military members who already had the influenza shots and the different SARS vaccines were actually more susceptible to other strains came when the season came around. They're actually like more susceptible to getting an even worse cytokine reaction to it. And so it's kind of like you're already priming your system and several of the leading doctors were actually warning about that. And that's why so many people are warning about Trump's vaccine which I think it should be. I think it should be uh, cautiously. Um, but, but wait a second. Observed. Did you hear what the whole thing with that is though? Is that he's yeah. trying to do some kind of like um, it's like a pseudo vaccine, and uh, he wants to push it so that the Democrats will absolutely go out, lose their minds and say well, no, no, not me. And and so it won't be mandatory. Like he's. It, but that's the thing. Rachel, so many people are like, if he's promoting it. I don't want nothing to do with it. Right. It's 5D chess, Rachel. Come on. It's Trump. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm just over here saying you should have a choice and that's somehow like not okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. But because well, you're a racist. <laughs> that's the denominator. But that's what I'm saying. My whole point though is that like you see these, it's almost like, um, like a pan of water and it tilts a little bit and everybody kind of floods to one direction or another. It's almost like trendy, you know, uh, stuff. And I see 
like there's people that have been um that have been you know anti anti-vax and educating people and trying to really promote that the healthy you know homeopathic living all of that kind of stuff for a long time as christians and now when we get into this pandemic and now all this awareness is coming up and then and then you throw in well the vaccine could be the mark of the beast <laughs> and, and then that, dude all right that that drives me nuts when that that is the old that is the old what was that left behind series yeah 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 oh really was that was microchip is the mark of the beast really uh, I, my, my mom asked me this she's all on board with that i'm like Listen, mom, if I could get something embedded in here where I go to pay and I do this, I'll do that in a heartbeat. Well, that's the mark of the beast. Show me. Show me in scripture where it says that I can pay with my goods with a small chip embedded. And for all those crazy paranoid people out there that think, oh, well, now that's one way. Man, you got one of these phones in your pocket, you're already tracked. You're, they oh, already yeah. know what you're talking yeah. about and everything else. You're about as dumb as a bag of rocks if you think that one small chip inside of you is going to give up your secret messages like what are you doing that's so top secret that you don't want the government to know they already know it what 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 you know what I mean? so <laughs> they already know it rosie they know it i know that's why i got because burners this is actually going to have a spiritual, it's going to have a spiritual connotation not just the buying and selling so there's going to be something that is you are fully you know pushing away having god's mark on you and you are going to be adhering I guess you could call it to the beast system. So it's like a, it's like a choice that you are making and you're not going to be duped into it. I think people are going to have a very yeah, clear yep. choice. So the people who are at least warning that, Hey, this is kind of a slippery slope. Don't you think that we're slowly moving to no cash? Like maybe there should be warning signs and stuff like that. America hasn't been a cash system in a very long, or excuse me, a gold-based system in a long time. Our cash is a joke anyway. So yeah. if we want to talk about a gold-based system and we're cash, we're just yeah. pumping out money for fun right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say one of the other things, which is, uh, it's funny because I've been into crypto and stuff like that for a while. And I remember like just thinking, uh, you know, all this stuff like, oh, we need to use cash because then they can't track you and, you know, all this stuff. And sometimes I get a little paranoid or, you know, they, you know, the social credit system, they'll cut off my credit cards. I need to have surpluses of cash and all that stuff. And then I started thinking, and, and I can't remember where I heard it, but we were, I was talking with someone and I think a friend said it. He's like, you're going to stick out. Like if you're the only one walking around <laughs> with cash right. and everyone yeah. else is using a credit card, even if you're like off the grid, cause you're like, they're not for tracking my purchases, you know, like 10 years from now, if no one uses cash and you're the only person that uses cash in the town. Well, nobody's going to have change for you. Well, that too, but there, you're gonna... well, there's a national coin short shortage. I don't know if you yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw that. But that's all part of the plan that so that they can get us to not have cash and then get us the vaccine and then and then they Who's the they? Yeah. Who's the they? I want to know who the we, they we is. We can't say. I can't, I can't <laughs> tell you that. I know who we'll they tell, We'll tell you off when yeah, we're not recording. After, and then we're going to we're going to put together a team and we're going to go take them out. How's that? Dude. Uh, that would be amazing. Here's the thing. They, they, they already, they already, they've already got those people targeted. Yeah. So yeah, if you yeah. think you're hiding behind the weeds, like you said, dude, that's more of an indicator than anything. If you're off the grid, you're not using a cell phone. That's an indicator more than anything else. Guess what? I can white page your face and yeah. I'll find out exactly where you live. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. not that tall. You yeah. pay taxes. Cool. I'll find out where you live. Yeah. Patriot Act. Done. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Rachel, I agree with you too, though. Like with, with, with all of this, 
uh, the, the mark of the beast and all that other stuff. Like, I think it could be a slippery slope getting back to that point that you're talking about. But at the same time, man, like, I, I think we're going to be raptured up before the trip, right? I'm pre-mill. I'm just going to say it. Yeah, I, we are. You, you, yeah. you, pulled, you pulled it out of me. But, like, if it gets to that point, then so be it. I know where my assurance rests. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I know what's going to happen to me when I die. And then someone asks me this, well, what about your kids? I'm like, oh, uh, that that's, a, you know, I understand. But if I truly trust in Christ and, the, you know, the redemptive plan that he has for us, that he has already executed for us, and if my children are part of the kingdom, then I'm okay with that too. I don't want to think about the end result on how we get yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. I agree. I mean, here's the thing yeah. too. What is the Antichrist described as? Is a peacemaker. Everyone around the world will love him. That's mm-hmm. not Donald Trump. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His exactly. Twitter account alone uh, will, will speak against that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I'm not trying to get political here, but I wanted to go back to what you said, Rachel, because I, I agree with you. I, I hope I didn't come across as like, oh, like, no, no, not at all. No, I'm just seeing so many like cultural things happening just since everyone's been on social media, putting out all kinds of rhetoric since the beginning of COVID. But like, there are so many people that don't realize that they've been on a slippery slope a hundred years in the making, 50 years in the making. And there's things that have already been in place that they would not be able to undo if they wanted to. Right. Yeah. And so in order to completely like remove yourself from the equation, there's lots of things you would have to do. You'd basically have to go be Amish or something in order to like completely (laughs) not go, not adhere to any of these things that are, that you're on, you're on a conveyor belt heading towards the future. And if you are anti-progress, then, you got to go be Amish. But like I'm saying, like there's going to be a slippery slope and different things that you are agreeing to. And you just have to be aware of what you are agreeing to. Well, like, and the thing is too, like what going off of what you just said there, so many people are like, Oh, we need to just get back to being our Christian country. What our country was founded on. And yeah. The founding fathers inherently had godlike rhetoric within the bill of rights and everything else. However, I'll say this, uh, a lot of them were deists. They, well, they were most not, of them. they were not, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we like to say, oh no, you know, the founding. Do you know your history? Mm-hmm. Like, again, yeah. America is not Israel. Yeah. That's right. That's it, the big we are thing. Not, we are not Israel. We are not promised, you know, the land from the Mediterranean all the way to the Tigris and the Euphrates. I'm sorry. That's distinctly to the church. Excuse well, me. Not the what church, if they have oil? Israel. If yeah. they have oil, then it's America. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Hey, out of all the presidents I served under, I will have, I will highly, I, I loved serving under the Bush administration, and yeah. here's why. We spent money like nobody's business. <laughs> <laughs> you got all the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my word. They're, they're, it was flying off the shelves, and then Obama, everything stopped, and then Trump, it slowly started to come back again. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's like, that was taxpayers' dollars. I'm like. I'm a taxpayer. <laughs> yeah. I know what I, I know what we were doing. You know, yeah, yeah, not yeah. that I didn't think that, but anyways. Well, you need to have the right tools to do the job. I mean, I have no problem with my tax dollars going to that. I mean, not not all of it, but for for you, I have no problem. <laughs> for you, you, well, you look at you look at the military fatalities we had under the Obama administration. Mm. Uh, the amount of money that they pulled from us for training was ridiculous. I lost two friends of mine personally. I don't want to say it was necessarily specifically because of Obama. However, a lot of shortcuts were made. Uh, money was not allocated the appropriate way how it, how it was for training, and they died in parachute jumps. 
Oh. And so oh, when man. we look at that, it, it's a shame because we had so many fatalities uh, under the uh, Obama administration that happened because of lack of funding. I mean, yeah. if you look at Benghazi, I mean, just take Benghazi for instance. Like, Mm-hmm. That irritates me to no end. Mm-hmm. We knew what was happening. We had all the correct intelligence. We had all the findings. We had all the warning signs that was there. And what did we blame it on? This is if you really want to start to pinpoint back the rhetoric that's happening from the leftist society on BLM and everything else. Look at what happened. If you recall, do you remember what was being said on why Benghazi happened? Do you remember? YouTube. Yeah, YouTube, yeah, it's a YouTube video. video. That's what it was. Yes. It was right after Charlie Hebdo too, right? Or before, yes, yeah. and, and and then if you allocate that also with what happened in Paris, roughly around the same yep. time, mm-hmm. none of that was true. Mm-hmm. This was all happening. This was all we see a huge psychological operation happening here, and we see the, the lefts exposing their hand here with Benghazi. And what happened after we lost Glenn Tyrone, uh, Ambassador Stevens, and Sean Smith? Yep. Nothing. Nothing. No accountability. Not a darn thing happened. Those were men who served honorably for a long time within the SEAL teams, an incredible ambassador and a great IT guy, and not a darn thing happened. Why? Because accountability. Her, her exact it, words it, were, what does it even matter anymore? That, that, it, we still brush it uh, under the rug. I am still waiting to this day for Hillary to be brought to justice on behalf of those families. Same here. Man. Yeah. Oh, we want it. Trust yeah. me. And well, now look at what's going on with all this other stuff that's happening in America. It's no different. Right. You know, most recently that, that shooting that just took place where she was sleeping in her bed and the cops didn't announce and everything else. Well, the facts have come out now yeah, and it has yeah. come in the contrary mm-hmm. to what the rhetoric is from the media, the media, there needs to be a, there needs to be a media reform beneath before there needs to be a police reform. In my oh, opinion. Yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. They're the enemy. Because, you can just push out anything you want. It's mm-hmm. And then it's inciting people. Like, people are getting revved up. They don't even care if later facts come out of the trial. People are already writing. People are already all riled up and upset. And it's like you can't undo what you already I, just put out. I had, like, I you actually, can't just take a couple steps back. I actually shared with someone that um, – the really that kicked it off back in June when uh, the one guy got strangled with a knee on his St. George. St. George, yeah. When uh, when I, I actually mentioned to someone that, that he actually, after the autopsy, th- there was proof that he was going to die that day no, 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 no matter no. what. They, they came out even more just, just this last video. week. Well, oh, really? he ate a bag. He had a bag of fentanyl in his mouth. So he was oh. eating it to get rid of it. So it wasn't even oh, like he had goodness. done drugs so, earlier that day. And he was going to die of an overdose, which is a fact. He was going to die regardless. But he ate it while he was in under when yeah. they were detaining him. Yeah, like so. Anyways, when he was sorry. on the ground. Yeah. So, but when you when you say that to someone, they emotionally they can't take it because they've bought into something else. And this is probably the most challenging, you know, aspect for any of this because you can't have a coherent conversation. You can't just stick to the facts, or you can't wait for the facts. And, um, and it's just a real, I think there's some spiritual, real spiritual power behind it in a real dark way, uh, trying to break down and bring down some stuff. And, um, but I, and then I also, on the other hand, I see God doing some amazing things, you know, I mean, yesterday there was 50,000 people that showed up on the mall to pray for our nation. Yeah. I've heard 
200,000 or more. 200,000? <gasps> well, that's probably, yeah, yeah, the media said there's like 15 well, guys. Yeah. Well, look at what's happened in California and Portland and everything else, mm-hmm. right? So the media is only portraying what's happening in Antifa. The, the lockdown that's been happening in California, there's been a, a revolution, if you will, that's been happening within the church on the beaches of mm-hmm. Huntington Beach, California. And people are getting saved and baptized left and right. Yeah. So, yeah, of course, we, the, the, the media wants us to continue on in our fear mongering. However, the truth and reality is something otherwise. And you, you said a good point, too, earlier, is that they don't care about the facts. And I've had atheists say, I hate God. Well, God doesn't exist. You're an atheist. So yeah, how do right, you hate right. God? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. like, if the facts don't exist and there's no such thing as facts, then how are you sitting there arguing with me with facts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and, and people don't care. You can present them a golden platter of evidence and v- even body cam video footage, and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's yeah. all subjective. There is no objective truth, and that's ultimately what it comes back to: is there's no such thing as objective truth. Yeah, that, yeah, you're that's right. That's just ultimately what I see coming that's back the, to. The thing that I see so much um, on social media, it's so pervasive. It's just you get a lot of very heart-wrenching, emotionally charged, you know, basically a screenshot, a meme, a a Twitter post or something. And sure, it makes you feel something because it's very, you know, well-written, very succinct, gets to the heart. It's not true. It's just something that gets you very, very riled up and you remember it. Yeah. And you're like, wow, that, that hurt to think about it. When you actually hear the facts, you're like, wait a minute, that wasn't true. This, this thing is getting people angry and has no basis in reality. And I see that it's targeting Christians. It's talking about racial division. It's talking about all kinds of things that in some instances aren't even true, that are non-existent. And yet it's to further cause more division. Well, and it's so hard. Uh, I hate to admit this. I fell prey to fake news when, if you remember when Ravi Zacharias passed away, Hmm. several days before he passed away, I saw, I, I, I hate, this is embarrassing for me to admit, I saw someone share a picture, uh, Ravi Zacharias, his birth date, and then his death date. And I shared that, and someone wrote me, they said, oh my word, I didn't. I knew that he was doing poorly, but I didn't know that he had passed. Where did you see that from? And I'm like, oh shoot, I didn't even fact check this. Sure enough, I went to investigate. He hadn't passed, he hadn't passed for another four days, and I was extremely embarrassed because I jumped on that bandwagon, and it's so mm-hmm. easy to quickly just see something and just assume that it's true and then don't fact check it. And so I would encourage everyone before you share something or say something, you know, just because it looks good and it fits the narrative in which your kind of prerogative is, maybe just take 20 seconds, do a quick Google search to see if it's true or not. Funny story tonight, right before I got on this. Uh, podcast with y'all my brother-in-law shared a, vi- uh, a post he said hey dude i don't know if you know this but in and out is coming to orlando <laughs> i said garbage that's not going to ever happen in and out will never come to the east coast he said no here's the article he sent me this fake article <laughs> that he thought was real his wife then sent me another article she said no this is the article it was a rick roll so we all got rick <laughs> oh. and i said i told you this was fake and he goes oh my word i can't believe it he just screenshot a Facebook post that someone had shared saying that in and out was moving to Orlando yeah. and oh said God. that it is happening. It, it, that's a silly example, and I'm not it trying to embarrass so it. It does. It does, Rachel. Right. I mean, it's too easy for you to see something and just share it. And I swear, like, my, 
my parents' generation are the worst ones with that. Yeah. The <laughs> amount of stuff I see from them and my mom's like, are your kids being taught this, this, and this, and this in schools? I'm like, no, mom. I'm active parenting with my children and I'm asking them, this is not getting pushed on them. BLM is not being pushed on my kids. This is not being pushed on my children. You know, you just got to find out what is true because yeah. the media is trying to extort the 5% or 1% of what's happening in America as the majority and not necessarily on the fringe elements, you know? If the fa- if the Facebook fact checkers just would have caught that, why would they miss that about in and out coming to Orlando? I can strike they're, so, else. they're so accurate, if it, though. If it, if it did come anywhere to the East Coast, it would actually make sense that it would come to Orlando. I have to admit, it wouldn't it logically made sense. I'm like, ah, I still don't believe it. Cause I know in and out's brand and they would never come to the East coast. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, they've actually said it. They're like, no, we're family owned business. We're not going, we're going to be, I think the closest to the East coast is in Texas. I think that's where it is. Cause I love yeah, in and out. Yeah. But, Trust me. If there was an in and out nearby, I would probably take a vacation to Orlando just to get some in and out. <laughs> they could, they could put Chick-fil-A on notice. I think if they open up in the same town as a Chick-fil-A. That, I would be curious to look at statistics. Yeah. Chick-fil-A versus In-N-Out. Because I'm not going to lie, I prefer the protein from red meat as opposed to yeah. uh, chicken meat any day of the week. Yeah, me too. Uh, the health property and everything. Rachel could probably talk more about this than <laughs> I could. But I would Both take are good. Both are good. Any, I, any day. But if you, if you look at the ketogenic diet, you can't do that on Chick-fil-A, but you can do that mm-hmm. on In-N-Out. Yeah, especially style especially oh, if I think that's the one that I had in Utah yeah and that car the carnivore diet is really good for brain rebuild and all that stuff too remember we were talking to carnivore Mike Foxtrot about that mm-hmm. he yeah. had his PTSD help that was a guy you'd love this you'd love my buddy uh Matt he's uh an operator did the whole thing spent a lot of time over there seen a lot of bad stuff but uh Anyways, dude, we've kept you for a long time. It's it's getting late. I I love talking to you. Uh, I cannot wait to see how things go with you it, with this young adult ministry, this college ministry. I can't. I would, man. I think it would be. It's going to be awesome for you. I think those uh, young adults should be grateful to have somebody like you that's thinking this through, that's uh, giving them absolute truth that they need, and arming them for a very very vicious world that they're you know being cast into. And uh, I just pray that God will just continue to use you and and uh, send the right warriors your way to train up and um, and do exactly what God's put in your heart, which is multiply uh, the, these disciples. Because uh, I think that's awesome. Yeah, thanks. If you guys want to follow our ministry, we have our own Instagram page, Crossroads at Olive. I'll, I'll send this to Rachel and and on. Uh, but feel free to follow us on there. We do a lot of updates and everything else. And I would love to have y'all's prayers yeah. and everything else. Cause there's uh, a few college campuses in our area that I'm trying to just really turn around. And today I actually baptized an individual who's in one of the main fraternities in one of our local universities. And I told him, I said, dude, you're, you're going to meet my agent, my plant within that fraternity to turn that fraternity around. He's already started a Bible study within that fraternity. That's awesome. Uh, and so it's, <laughs> it's just an awesome time to see how God's working in the lives of these young individuals. But yeah, Crossroads at Olive, uh, please give that a follow. Uh, pray for us. Uh, send us messages every now and then. Like us. Encourage us. I, I'd really appreciate that. Yeah. And you're still, are you still not open to deeper than a meme ministries? <laughs> I mean, we could... We could. <laughs> 
<laughs> the thing is, is my brother-in-law makes fun of my wife and I's ministry of Deeply Rooted Magazine all the time. And he's just always cracking jokes. And I'm like, ha, 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 whatever. That's funny. And then it's funny because my wife, Diane, and I were always like, okay, I can really see how he's able to play off of Deeply Rooted on so many different levels. Yeah, um, <laughs> that is funny. Oh man! Well, we appreciate you coming on, man, and we we love everything that you and your wife are doing. Um, and I want to encourage our listeners to check you guys out. Check out obviously his Instagram page there, and for young adults, and check out Deeply Rooted. Uh, if if it if you're a woman listening, check out Deeply Rooted. If you identify as a woman, then you need to first <laughs> go see a counselor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, that's good. Uh, but still sign up for the magazine. Right. <laughs> still sign yeah. up for the magazine, but go see a counselor. Yeah, they too. got some good content. That's something I was going to ask you, right? I'm sorry, I don't mean to like go off on a tangent or anything, but like keeping it succinct, like what are some things for a believer in our generation or just a believer who wants to stay solid in the word? What are you doing to arm yourself spiritually and also like basically preparing in this day and age, like practically, but then also spiritually? So obviously, I mean, stay, staying, you know, I thought this, staying rooted in the scriptures is key. <laughs> uh, I, I, I really mean that. But also yeah. uh, what, what I highly encourage my wife and everyone else that, that I, I engage with is to understand the other point of view. You need to research your opponent. You know, mm-hmm. it, you know, I disagree with a lot of what Sun Tzu said with the Art of War book because of his background of his philosophy, but he has a lot of, a lot. The more we sweat in peace, the less we bleed in war. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that as Christians is the more I can research my adversary and the more I can research the opposing point of view, the better off I can arm myself to go out and to be able to engage them, to be confident in the engagement that I'm going to have yeah. because I know what I believe and why I believe this. And uh, a book that I'm currently reading right now um, is Alistair Begg uh, in his Pathway to Freedom and is re-looking at how the Ten Commandments applies to the life. And holy smoke, it's really changing a lot of my worldview in certain ways towards the Ten Commandments because so often I feel like we as Christians nowadays are like, yeah, he didn't, he didn't get rid of the law. He came to fulfill the law. But just his chapter two and commandment number two has just opened my eyes in such a way in which I was realizing what I was setting up as a graven image. Uh, You know, it's not necessarily like an idol or a a wooden carved thing, but what we as Christians do. And we're like, oh, my goodness, I'm setting I'm worshiping the image of Jesus as opposed to Jesus himself. And so that's what I would suggest, Rachel is mm-hmm. arming yourself with the opposing viewpoint and two pouring into scripture and then also arming yourself with developing yourself professional development if you will on mm-hmm. who you are as a believer know your worldview write it out why do i believe what i believe just write it out take a few minutes on microsoft Word and just type out i believe this this is my worldview if you can write that out logically and then you look at it and you're like, okay, that doesn't look like heresy. Maybe I'm on the right track <laughs> and maybe that's the best way to go. Yeah. And then also too, having a community of believers, like before you, you guys lost your internet before I was talking to Rachel and I was like, I really want to talk to you about this and this and this. And I said, I, I don't want to push on you. Like, you know, I don't want to like have an emotional, I, I just really want to hear your perspective on this. 
I, I love knowledge and I love learning, especially after reading through the book of Proverbs as a child. I remember thinking, man, if God approached me with everything that I wanted, I would want wisdom. And so I love to learn and I love to hear other people's perspectives, especially if it's one that I may not be like 100% on board with. That's just better for me because maybe I just haven't looked at all of the evidences, you know. And so even before we got onto this, that's just this is just me giving credibility to the, I'm not just saying what I'm saying. I mean what I say. I do what I say. And I was talking to Rachel. I was like, I really want to talk with you next time we get together for dinner or supper or something like that. And I would love to hear your point of view. And then let me ask questions and kind of shoot holes in your logic. And then you shoot holes in my logic and we work this out. You know, that's stirring one another up for good works. That's, you know, being a good Berean searching the scriptures. What does this say? Why does it say this? How does this apply to my life? You know? Yeah. Yes. Sorry, that's a long answer, Rachel. I apologize. No, that was really good because that's something that I don't think a lot of believers recognize that they need is a a solid foundation, but then b a really solid community and one that it's okay if you guys don't agree on everything, but you are testing everything against scripture. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to there's a lot of people that I'm very good friends with that I disagree with theologically, but we are very good friends, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Keep Unless the es- it's heresy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, keep, <laughs> keep, keep the essentials the essentials, man. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Ethan, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you coming on the podcast with us. And um, and people, we'll put your connect. We'll put your links in our show notes on the podcast, uh, so people can connect with you on your Instagram and um, and everything else. And we'll make sure that they have access to that. Uh, Rosie, you got anything you want to close out with? Anything? No, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Yeah, thank. You. Thank you guys, and thanks, Rachel, for asking me to come on. I appreciate it, guys. <laughs> thanks for coming on. It's awesome. And I wish we actually, like, all lived closer so we could, like, do this in, know. you know, in yeah. one under one roof. But someday. One day. One yeah. day, yeah, man. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you, Ethan. We will talk to you soon, brother. Thanks. Bye, guys. See ya. Take care. Hey, guys. This is Turner. You've been hearing us talk about Kahi Roasting Company for a while. They're an amazing, small, Christian-owned family coffee roasting business, and they have approached All Out War, and they have given us an amazing opportunity that we never expected in a million years. And this is what they've offered to us. If you love coffee, and you love this podcast, and you want to help support the work of this podcast, we don't have a Patreon, we don't make money off of ads or anything like that, but what we do have is this unique partnership with Kahi Roasting Company. And what you want to do is go to kahiroastingco.com, click on the Support All Out War, order your coffee, they'll ship it right to your house in a few days, and 10% of that sale will go back to All Out War. Now look, we're not planning on making a bunch of money off this, but what it does help us do is support the work of what we're doing. It helps pay for our hosting fees and new equipment and things like that. So if you like All Out War and you love coffee, go check out KahiRoastingCompany.com and order yourself some coffee today. And as I always say, sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy.